Good afternoon, everybody. Um, it's great to have you with us for uh, the discussion this afternoon. I'm absolutely delighted to have Christine and Sarah with us to, to chat through um, for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, the title discussion for uh, the next bit of time is The Future Is Now in Women's Sport. Sarah, I'm going to come to you first, if that's OK. Um, what type of things initially spring to mind um, when you hear about that title? What is the, the status quo um, in football at the moment? And um, where are we at? Thanks, Daniel. And it's really great to be here. I mean, wow, what an event. I think I'm still sort of struggling to get my head around it. Yeah, when I saw the title, I my first response was to be really critical, like so broad. And, and I think it's something that you hear often. And it's almost a little bit of an evergreen statement at the moment because it seems to be repeated every time something big happens in the world of, of sport, in the world of women's football, especially lately. I actually think, I, I have to also try not to be too critical, right? I was accused of being there in, a, in an interview last week. I think we are in, a, in quite a different moment right now, particularly in football, which is the sport that I'm most comfortable with where it does feel a little bit different. But I, what I will say is in terms of the product of women in sport, of, of women playing sport, that's been around for a really long time. But I think now we're having more and more conversations that reach more and more people around professionalization, around discussions on the way that the game should be run, should it be run similar to the way that, that it's done on the men's side. So those conversations are new, which feels like it maybe is entering a bit of a different space. But my frustration is like, well, the athletes themselves have been doing the business for a long, long time. Uh, so that part is not new, but yeah, maybe it's time for a different type of conversation and hopefully a more sustainable conversation in the long run. Cheesy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I completely agree, actually. And, you know, when you said it, the first thing I thought was when I started racing, um, I remember getting to the racetrack and, you know, arriving with my little Corolla and people looking at me like, so where's the driver? I'm like, I'm the driver. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 like the actual driver. So I think that, yeah, I, I completely feel that now things have changed completely. And, you know, now going to the racetrack and just, you know, being 50% women and 50% male, it's, it's normal. It's not weird anymore. And even the championship that we are racing is 50% women. So I think that is pretty amazing, you know. And also, I mean, I don't know, football, of course, is a little bit different from motorsport. But for us, you put your helmet on and you know, you have no difference, it's, it's the clock, so it's not anymore a women or male fact, but for sure I agree that now things are changing and it's, I think it's amazing and it's beautiful to be part of this change and, you know, show that we can do it too. So I'm just going to go off on a tangent just very slightly in that we were just backstage just before and you showed me the most amazing crazy video um, of um, your crash that I hadn't seen. I hope it doesn't bring too many bad memories, but also then as a result, everything that went into your rehab and everything that happened as a result, that being a very normal occurrence in sport, that being a very normal occurrence for an elite performer, how um, does that type of um, incident impact you and your career and your confidence and your ability to uh, get back on the horse and, and keep going? You're yeah, not driving a horse, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we actually spoke about this this morning. And, of course, like a crash of that kind of level um, affects a lot. And an athlete, you know, we are always 100%. So we always try to keep our head, like, super focused and try to be in the race all the time. And 
Unfortunately, there are moments of our life where we have crashes or, or you know, just down moments. So I think that it does affect a lot, but it's really important to kind of remember why you're doing this, remember the passion and when you started, when I started with the little Corolla and, you know, where I am right now. And, you know, that's, it's kind of like the fuel or, or the electricity nowadays uh, to keep me going. So I feel that, yeah, of course, it's, it's, it's bad, but it's also sometimes this bad situation kind of reminds you, you know, everything you worked for, you know, the six, eight hours a day of rehab that we were doing. So it kind of brings you back to, to remembering all this that you've worked for and that, you know, right now you're here. And so it's just like, okay, it's just a little obstacle in the way and you just, you know, go over it or race over it and then it will be fine. It's funny, and I'm not going to turn this into a book club session at all, because there is a book session over there somewhere, but there's a great book called um, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday that I would really recommend, but um, that'll it. be for another yeah. day. Um, Sarah, if I can turn to you for a second as well, because obviously, just um, as Christine is an elite athlete and will continue to be, you have been as well, and you've been able to transition from one elite career to another elite career at FIFPRO. And the, the thing that I think I'd be interesting to hear more about a little bit is um, you were in London for a while during the Euros that England won. Um, football generally is going on a different trajectory, I would say, as well. I was hearing new voices in the room that I hadn't heard before from me being um, a traditional football fan, looking more at men's than across the wider spectrum. Obviously, the easy question is there's loads of opportunities, loads of potential uh, pitfalls for where football is going now. But with the World Cup next year in New Zealand and in Australia as well, uh, where do you think things are from a performance and a commercial perspective? And take your pick on either side. Well, I'll, I'll maybe start with the performance point of view because like you said, I, yeah, I played at the previous three editions of the Women's World Cup from 2011 to 2019. And in terms of what I see on the pitch, and this was really evident in July watching the tournament uh, in England, the Women's Euros, but also I did some travel to some other confederations as well. It's, it's miles away from, I mean, I'm glad I'm not competing with those athletes now because I don't know if I would necessarily <laughs> keep up. Uh, I think the game has come forward in leaps and bounds over the last 10 years, and that's got a lot to do with the increasing professionalization of the game. I think more professional opportunities are reaching more players, and the quality of those opportunities is going up. You can see, particularly here in Europe, the club game has just gone from strength to strength. So from a performance point of view, I think what we're going to see next year at the Women's World Cup is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be incredible. There will be, uh, obviously, some gaps in terms of the way different countries perform because it is going to 32 teams. But I, I think in, in terms of the football, I think it's going to be really, really special. From a commercial point of view, I think what's really interesting is, might have been last week or the week before, but Gianni Infantino, so the president of FIFA, was, I suppose, complaining about the lack of, or the low bids that have come in for the broadcasters for the Women's World Cup next year. And from his perspective, the commercial, potential commercial property revenue wasn't matching, you know, the quality of the tournament and the quality of the product. So I think 
to me, that also shows that there's still a little bit of a gap between performance and commercialization. Uh, like I said in my first answer, that the game as a product has been incredible for a long time, but it's gone to, it's gone to new heights, I think. But we're still waiting for really the, the dollars to sort of roll in and follow. Again, what I've noticed uh, in my, what did you, this next elite career or whatever you want to call my job, um, <laughs> is that that's still really slow. There isn't a lot of... Um, I suppose, proactive investment that takes place. And the ones that do do it are rewarded hugely. I think the DAZN deal for the UEFA Women's Champions League is a great example. So I think we're still sort of waiting for the commercial dollars to sort of roll in and, you know, roll in sustainably and over a long period of time rather than just coming in fits and bursts. But again, like, I think the Women's World Cup will tell us something different again next year and, and we will see another boom for the industry. But I think, to me, there is still a little bit of fragmentation around like the commercialization of the game. Christine, I'm going to come back to you if that's okay for a particular question I had. So we talked in preparation about, obviously, in the men's and women's game in football, no one's men aren't competing directly with women and vice versa. That's always been the possibility in motorsport. Um, We've seen lots of recent examples of the W Series, for example, of F1 potential feeder series as well. We see in Extreme E the, the 50-50 split in terms of equality, in terms of um, drivers as well. It would be great just to hear some of your experiences around growing up in the industry, um, actually building cars and finding finance in a way. So whichever bit of the pie you want to take, just, just grab it and tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, of course, um, right now things are changing, so that that's amazing. And the fact that there is a championship right now that it's based on equality and, you know, you're obligated to have a male and a female in each team, I think it's amazing. And it explains and it just shows how we are, like, able to do it, you know, because the, the main problem was, was the time. Like, okay, so... Why are the girls not on time? But now I feel, you know, that we are racing against Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Loeb, um, Hamilton has a team, so the best drivers in the world, and, you know, the times are there. So I think that this explains and shows how, how things right now are, are different and how it's normalized. And, like, even in, in the Bajas that I race in the World Championship, in the top five, there's always a woman. Like, um, so I feel that this for sure it's it's amazing and it's a thing that you know shows that even the you know the new generations that are coming that are like I, I found a lot of girls coming to me like little kids like oh my god so I can be a driver I'm like yeah of course come I'll show you how to do it so I feel that you know if they can see that there's a role model that you know you can do it you can become a race car driver so for sure yeah things things have changed and all this the even the commercialization of it um, of course now you know the fact that women it's it's so impactful because the fact that, that now businesses are getting in a lot with trying to sponsor and stuff like that so i feel that it's it's going to help for sure if i ask one more question as well um again we talked about in preparation the shows that we do actually prepare in advance of having the sessions um you know you're you're a very public facing person which is uh, when I was doing my research beforehand, you've got your own website, you've got your own merch. There's loads of cool stuff which is demonstrating your outward perception of what you are doing in the industry and how you're going about doing it. Would it be possible just to share a little bit of insight as to the strategy behind that and the team that I can see you have around to be able to help you do all of that? 
Yeah, I mean, what, what I've seen during the years is that, of course, the support of like people that, you know, that really love you and understand what you do, because it's a complicated sport, as in you're a lot of time out of home, you know, you're, it's not, you're not, I mean, obviously, this is the life of an athlete, I feel, now everyone has the same situation, like, obviously, when all your friends are going out partying or dinner and you're, you know, training, then it's, it's a different life, but I feel that in motorsports, it's even like a step more because you're you're traveling so much and you're in a different completely different world you know like like the fact like you were saying when i started racing i really wanted to become a race car driver but at that time there was no no easy no no step to do it's not like oh i go to the pitch with my racket and i start you know so it was like okay so how do i do this and everyone was saying like okay but you're a girl and you know you're not rich so you're never gonna do it and, and i was like there has to be a way. So it's like double, you know, because you always have to find the way out. And, and like you said, in that case, I thought, okay, so if I become a mechanic and I fix my own car, then I can go race it, you know? So it, it, was, it was a little bit kind of what happened, no? And, and with everything else also, like the fact of studying engineering, I feel like as a driver, this is going to help me become a better driver. So, yeah. Very nice. Um, we are almost out of time already, unfortunately. We've got a lot of screens telling us we've only got a couple of minutes left. So I'm just going to ask Sarah just one last question, if that's okay. Um, which is, you know, um, in the game at the moment, um, especially from um, the North American side, we saw the Yates report very briefly, which was a pretty harrowing report about um, abuse in female football in the US. Um, part of your role at FIFPRO is a governance role. Um, you get asked quite a lot of the time, I guess, around how can things improve and get better generally. What does that report almost show? And does it mean that there's some way to go generally in football to, to get the right types of governance structures? Yeah, I think what the report showed really, really clearly, which was, was an investigation into the league, which was one of the best leagues in the world, is shows that they're a, a little bit like your question on commercialization and professionalization. I think that the governance structures don't match where the professional women's industry is at. And that's a huge problem. And you see that right the way through the report. Like part of, of the issue around some of these coaches and people in power is you had a lot of power concentrated on a very few individuals and those individuals exploited that power and they exploited the players. So I think it's, it's a sort of a um, existential question for the industry right now is do we have the right governance structures for the professional women's football industries because at the moment we share the governance structure with the men's football industry which is completely different you have completely different players sometimes completely different competitions and actually sometimes a completely different relationship between fans and the players themselves so I think like maybe an an existential question slash existential crisis at the moment for football at the minute is do we have the right structures in place from a governance point of view to match what the players need and what the industry needs? So might be a, a good place for the audience to go away and think of a solution to that one. And if you have one, please come and find me later because I'm keen to know. Well, um, we're being told on four different screens that time is up. <laughs> yeah, um, so if we didn't get the message, we definitely now have. But um, uh, Christine and Sarah, it's been such a pleasure to have you um, chat to me and the crowd and us. So hopefully we can do it again sometime. And if you can give it up for the two um, speakers, that'll be great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast like, share, and
and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.